get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Well, first of all, it's unbelievable. I've been here. I was very fortunate. I came here the first year, played the first game. My goal was to win a Stanley Cup. I never got to win it three times there. But this year, I got my parade. And it was a heck of a parade. And I'll tell you, as happy as I am for myself, the players, I've run into some people that have been season ticket here for... 50-some years, 40-some years. I see them now. They got tears in their eyes. I am more happy for you than anybody else here. Thank you, St. Louis. You're the greatest fan. On a morning in which we will reflect on the great, fun life of Bob Plager, welcome to Carriker Smallman and Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. It is 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, and I got a text from Michelle Smallman yesterday saying that uh, she had some scary news that there had been an accident on 64 and that perhaps Bob Plager had been involved. It was a fatality accident, and then it was confirmed about an hour later, and obviously St. Louis is in mourning. Mourning. St. Louis sports fans, Blues Nation, we are all in mourning today over the loss of Bobby Plager at the age of 78, certainly number five in your programs and number one in your hearts. But we're going to spend this morning reflecting. We want your mic drops, the Rhino Shield mic drop with the 101 ESPN ESPN app. We want your texts. Uh, We want to hear from you. We're going to talk to Tony Twist. We're going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford, John Kelly, Bernie Federko, and you're a big part of this. You're actually the reason that we're doing this uh, because we do want to reflect on the the great life and celebrate the life of Bobby Plager. Uh, Michelle, Dan, uh, obviously a terrible day in St. Louis. And uh, I think it's important to note that Bobby is now with Bark. He's with Dan Kelly. He's with Noel Picard. He's with Gus Kyle. And they probably had uh, a great night last night, finally getting back together, all all again together. Yeah, a a reunion for them. This was a heartbreaking loss for the Blues family, for hockey fans all over the country, and, of course, the St. Louis community. I was thinking about this last night as I was reading about Bobby Plager and his life. Do you think there's any single person that has impacted the Blues organization more than he has? It's a great question. I mean, he's he's among the Mount Rushmore of of Blues players or personnel. Uh, Bobby's you know stretches from when he 
began on opening night of this uh, franchise and then was a coach in Peoria, coached mm-hmm. the St. Louis Blues, was a scout, did some broadcasting. Uh, the thing I reflect on is is kind of the same way when I looked at the pictures of when Lou Brock passed away. There's a picture with Lou Brock everywhere. There is a picture with Bobby Plager with somebody of all generations of Blues fans and sports fans in this town with him smiling. And, and you guys know I did the Blues for well over a decade uh, Bobby was wonderful to the fans, mm-hmm. and I can honestly say, I'm sure he had some bad moods, and I'm sure he had some bad days, but it would, never was around me. I never saw him either. I mean, this man was always smiling, laughing, a story, and a joke. And when he would sign his autograph, he put a smiley face on yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have one of those autographs, but I have a picture with Bobby, like everybody else, and he made a, a nice message that was funny, and then signed it, Bobby Plager, with a big smiley face. He is just one of the people that you think about, Michelle, that is an iconic figure in the history of this franchise and will be forever. And when you talk about impact, over the course of the franchise's existence, no, nobody was around as long as Bob. And although he wasn't the great player that Stan Musial was with the Cardinals, he was every bit the ambassador. Yes. He was every bit the person that everybody in St. Louis has a Bobby Plager story. That's what we want to hear today. And he, he like Stan, had establishments. Uh, he had a, a place here in Creve Corps for a while. He had Bobby's place, a couple of different bars. And he was always out and about. I wrote in my piece at 101ESPN.com. We would do shows at 14th and Clark uh, when I was uh, with 550, and, and they had the blues. And drunk people would come up to Bob, and Bob quit drinking a long time ago. And while we were on the air, drunk people would come up to him, and he had a way of getting people to calm down, even in a drunken state, yep. and taking care of situations and smoothing out situations. And then the other thing that I'll remember about Bob is that and I'm sure Dan, as a young broadcaster being around the club, you had the same thing happen. He taught me so much hockey. He was yeah. just such a, a genuine sharer of hockey and could put it in layman's terms and simplistic terms. And we're going to ask Tony Twist about that because he not only did it for us, but he did it for uh, players, too. And I know so much more about the sport and understand the sport so much more because Bob Plager would come and stand next to me at practice with his ubiquitous cup of coffee (laughs) and he would sidle up and your arm would be touching his arm and he would be talking about hockey. So for me, and I'm in the same boat, uh, doing the intermissions on television a lot of times bobby would be down in the the underneath the the stands at enterprise center and so to to kind of visualize this you you got the blues locker room you got the opposing locker room and there are various offshoots of locker rooms at enterprise center and not are, are some of them are not very big and we would make one into a studio that you would see on television and so i would do my interview he would watch that. Sometimes he'd be making fun of me behind the camera, <laughs> trying to make me laugh. But then we'd go into the, uh, the either the hallway there, just outside the locker room in the coach's room, or we'd be in that, that little uh, studio. And we'd just sit there and talk about the game. And then he would tell so many jokes. And I remember so many times I'm like, Bobby, I got to go. I got to go do this thing. You know, he's like, all right, now come back here. You know, and he was just wonderful, wonderful to be around. Um, Blues History is somebody I follow on Twitter. I don't know if you guys follow that. And they posted an interview that I had with Bob Plager. And I, I watched it last night. Uh, it was during the Mike Kitchen era, and it was a tough era of Blues hockey. They really had kind of dismantled the team, and he was left to be the coach of a team that was not very talented. 
And one of the questions I said, you know, Bobby, you're down here. What do you do? He goes, well, I go into the coach's room and I talk to them in between periods. And I remember doing that interview and we talked afterwards. And I said, what do you say to them? He goes, I just try to cheer them up. You know, we talk about the game, but I'm trying to just kind of give them a sounding board. Um, And that's who he was for players, for media, for fans. To your point, Randy, people coming up to him. He was a sounding board with a smile. Everybody always felt welcome around him. Had a smile when you left and and visited with him because he was the ultimate St. Louis sports fan, too. Mm -hmm. Loved the Cardinals. He loved the Blues. Became a St. Louisan. And that's what I think about with Bobby Plager. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said fan because that's my biggest memory of Bob Plager when the Blues went on their Stanley Cup run and we were in the press box for all the games in the postseason. I remember seeing him up there, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's Bob Plager. You know, as a, as a young kid growing up in St. Louis, he is St. Louis Blues hockey. And so to just see him up there anyway was very cool. But then to see how much he cared about the outcome of the game, how superstitious he was, how he kept pacing back and forth. He could barely even watch the game because he was so nervous about the outcome. Always had a cup of coffee, but was always so nice and upbeat and generous with his time to everyone there. But I know Randy and I were up there together and we both were so invested in the outcome. And I thought if we're nervous, imagine how nervous Bob Plager is. 50 seasons, right? 50 seasons. But he wanted that team and this community and the fans to win that cup so badly. And I was so happy for him that he got that moment. We played that clip to start the show and I was flipping through channel two and four and five and and they were doing the reflections on, on Bob Plager. And when the Blues won the Stanley Cup, he's down on the ice, obviously. He got to hold the cup, and everybody's doing an individual interview with Bob Plager. And he said it in that soundbite, which it really sums it up. But I thought it was wonderful what he said, which was, I'm so happy right now. I'm so happy to be a Blue. I'm so thankful to the players for making this happen. But number one, I'm most happiest for the fans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I thought, wow, that, that, that really sums it up. Like you're thankful to be a part of this. You're thankful to the players for doing it. But man, I'm I'm happiest most for the fans. And that wasn't something that he just said publicly either. Because I went up to him the first time I saw him after they won, and I said, "Man, I'm so happy for you." Whenever I thought about this, you were the person Me I too. thought of, Bob Plager. And he said, "It's more important for the fans. It, I'm happy, but I'm happier for the fans." So it that wasn't just a public persona that Bobby was putting out there. I want to get to a couple of quick texts here. Number one, uh, in 2019, we were at a game at the Enterprise Center. There was a guy in the beer garden that had had a bit too much to drink. He had gotten a bit out of control, and the security guards were ready to rein him in. Up comes Bobby to take care of the situation. All the security guys with smiles on their faces just backed off and let him handle the guy. My husband and I laughed our heads off just watching Bobby take care of this guy at... 77 and did it with a smile and did it with just a way of making people even in an inebriated state calm down and be what they should be the 636 says i'm a 30 year old who had a spinal tumor in at 17 huge hockey fan make a wish brought me to a game bobby came upstairs and talked to me for a while that night in 2019 we're at the game at enterprise center i'll never forget it thank you bob plager um that was the other thing, too. If you ever went to the Blues alumni box, which a lot of, I think, fans have probably been able to to have that experience, you, you don't know who you're going to run into on those nights. It might be Bernie Federko coming over after the intermission. Hey, there's Chris Pronger. Uh, there's Wayne Gretzky. But always there, a fixture was Bob Plager. And I can tell you, a lot of fans 
if not all of them, all gravitated towards Bobby mm-hmm. to get a picture and knowing that they're going to get a handshake and a story, which yeah. was something that, and I don't know if it was the right word to say great patience in doing that, but he wanted to do that. And so it was just, uh, that was the man he was, is that he appreciated the fans and made sure that he expressed that. He was so generous with yes. himself and yeah. his time. Like this from the 314, I, ne- I never met Mr. Plager, but was well aware of who he was. When Jamie Rivers told the story of Bobby always carrying a Sharpie because he wanted to be approached and sign autographs, and no one ever walked away with one, I actually cried. Men like him don't exist in sports anymore. Rest in peace to a great man. Bob Plager, one of our all-time favorites, Mr. St. Louis Blues, dead at the age of 78. We do want you to weigh in with the text 65780, your mic drops. Feel free to send us those with the 101 ESPN app. We are going to talk some baseball during the show. Later in this hour, eight burning questions. Can Yachty and Wayno do it again is our question of the day. But this show is about you, about fans of Bob Plager, and about your uh, reminiscences about your celebration of the life of Bob Plager. You are next with Character Smallman, Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Mark, I know you're up there, and you too, Noel. You're not going to miss a party. <laughs> Dan Kelly. My buddy Doug Harvey, Jimmy Roberts, Al Arbor, Jock Plant. You know, we were there for the first uh, one in Boston. We were back there again. This time we come home with the trophy. Here's to you guys. How great is that? Everybody was a friend of the late, great Bobby Plager who passed away yesterday at the age of 78. We do want to hear from you with the mic drop feature. Use the 101 ESPN app on your phone and tell us your Bob Plager story and also your texts, 65780. But there were so many people that went before Bobby and went too soon. His brother Bark passing away at the age of 46 of a brain tumor. Dan Kelly uh, died a year later at the age of 52. And... It was great that Bobby was around to see that Stanley Cup championship. That, that's what I think. And when I hear that, I'm so <clears throat> happy that the Blues won. Don't get me wrong. For everybody in this town and for every diehard fan that had been through the ups and downs. But I got to tell you, when the Blues won the Stanley Cup, the first thing I thought of was my late father who lived and died with the, the cup. And the other guy was Bob Plager. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, man, Bobby is going to live this up. Man, he's going to have <laughs> yeah. a lot of fun with this because he had been through so much. And he had been through the near moves and the ownership changes. And that's the other thing. You know, a lot of times a new owner comes in and they say, hey, I want my guys to be a part of this or to be a part of the front office. I don't want you around. You have a hands-off approach. That was never the case with Bobby. Everybody made it real clear. And I don't care who the owner was. Bobby is St. Louis Blues hockey. He, he is a part of this. He's a part of our fan base. He means everything. Our players love him. Hands off. Bobby's our guy. And I always felt that way. And it's it was amazing to see him get to hoist that Stanley Cup. You're right. He is St. Louis Blues hockey. And when I was earlier in the show, when I said, is he the single most 
impactful person in the history of the organization. I think about it from when he was a player to when he was a front off in the front office to when he was a coach in Peoria. And then I think about all the players that he has mentored or showed what it means to put on that sweater and what it means to this community to cheer for the St. Louis Blues. So many players sharing stories about how Bobby Plager was the example for them and how they learned about Blues hockey and how to represent the city because of him. Bobby used to tell me in one of those intermissions that I had many different stories, but one that always uh, resonated for me is that if you're in in hockey, a lot of times there's a big um, rolling cart where guys will put their uniforms or their, their sweaters and he would he made a point to always say that sweater never hits the ground. Mm-hmm. You never let it hit the ground. You know, you, you take it off, put it over there, but you respect the sweater because not only is it something that you do for those that have to pick that thing up, the logical part of it, but also he said, most importantly, what the sweater represents. The sweater represents our organization, our family, our team, our city and our fans. So don't let it hit the floor. That always resonated with me. And it used to be at Enterprise Center and at the old Blues practice facility in Hazelwood, the carpet in the Blues dressing room was a mock ice sheet with the blue note in the center. And you never Never stepped stepped on the blue blue note. note That's right. At center ice of that piece of carpet. Pretty amazing, isn't it? It is. I mean, that's, and that was not just him throwing something out there and, you know, saying, hey, you don't, you don't disrespect this. No, he, he believed it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was very true to him and true to the day that he passed away. To your mic drops on 101 ESPN, here is one from Robert. Hi, story about Bob Plager. Back in the late 60s, early 70s, silver skates, speed skating was at the old arena. And in between the intermission, Bob Plager and the Blues would all come out and play a scrimmage. Well, they got 13 to 15,000 people because of the Blues out there and because of Bob Plager, he would come out and play with tassels on his skates. (laughs) How about this one? Um, Our good friend Andy Strickland sent me this late last night. I got it this morning. He said, this might be your best call ever. So I was doing the UHL All-Star Game, uh, which was held here in St. Louis at the time when we had a team. And the Blues alumni was playing in a charity game before uh, that actual game. And so uh, I think there may have been some media members out there and, you know, just non-hockey players, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I looked down and one of the famous, it was unmistakable, Bob Plager floors this, I think it was a media member, but it was a hip check. (laughs) By the way, he was 63 when he did it. He was 63 when he did it. It was unbelievable. Here it is. The hip check yeah, there from Bob Plager. <laughs> what a hit by Bob. Dan, oh, man. Bob Plager out of nowhere with the hip check. I don't know if that's legal, Dan, is it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about that? The hip check. We knew you still had it. Tell me about that. Well, you know who I hit out there, eh? It's a media guy. <laughs> I say, be nice, but someday, sooner or later, you get your even. If this thing goes to a shootout, you told me what? Well, I asked if I'd be in the shootout, and they said, Bob, we're sorry. Uh, the other game starts at 7. 
By the time you finish your shootout, it'll be a quarter after, so no, no shootout. <laughs> no shootout for Bob Plager, just hip chest, guys. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's great you guys found that. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was a... Seriously, a vicious, a vicious hip check at the age of sixty-three in a charity game, and that's great. <laughs> Sooner or later, you get your, uh, you get your evens with the media. That's awesome. You know what's striking too is that that number five is up in the rafters, and Bob would tell you that he wasn't a very good, he wasn't a great player. He was a good player, he certainly not great. How many athletes get their numbers retired because about they're that. great people? Yeah, and that's why it happened. Yeah, yeah. because of you know you were talking about it, Michelle. Um, who's the most important member of the Blues over the years. And I, I'll go back to it. The uncertainty, the turmoil of this franchise over many, many years until we've seen now the Tom Stillman ownership come in. And for many of us, it was, when are they going to leave? I mean, I always felt like we're on thin ice, for lack of a better term, talking hockey here. But with certain times with the Blues, like, man, they're going to leave. And I love the Blues. As a fan, I just, I, I'm just so into it. But he was always the constant that was there. So you think about how important he was in terms of your relationship with your fan base to make sure your fans didn't give up on you. Mm-hmm. And that that's big. It really is. And that's why his number five is up there. And you're right, Randy. He wasn't a great player. He was a good player. Yeah. But um, that guy, and when people look at those numbers up in the rafters, they're going to say, that number five, man, there's a story for just a, the next time we're packed at Enterprise Center and there's 18,000 people there. There's probably 18,000 stories of individual stories yes. that somebody could say about number five. He would tell players and told us, he said, the main thing you want to do when you get back to your locker room after a game, the dressing room was never locked. Get back to your dressing room after a game. Ask yourself, did I cause the team to lose? If I didn't cause the team to lose, I was okay. Mm-hmm. And because he wasn't great, he wanted to play the game the right way and make sure that he didn't make a mistake that caused his team to lose. And he would come up after uh, the Blues would allow a late goal in a game or a period and say, you know, you just you, you have to let the clock be your coach. Just chip the puck out off the boards. It's not that hard. That's great. By the way, we get a text that says, uh, hey, Dan, actually, that was Andy Strickland who got the hip check in that game. <laughs> So I didn't know that, but um, that's great. That's, it was phenomenal just to be around the guy. Phenomenal. Here's, here's another mic drop. This is Rick. I'm a transplanted Minnesota Wild fan into the lovely Lou, as they call it. And my fiance Lisa and I got to meet Bobby. We were just at uh, the rink before one of the giveaways, and he came down on the ramp, and uh, I said, uh, "Is it okay if I shake your hand, Mr. Plager?" He said, call me Bobby. I'm going to miss him. Let's go, Blues. Mm. He means so much to so many people Mm -hmm. in St. Louis. When I got to meet Bob Plager for the first time, Randy got a picture of Bob and I together, and I sent it to my dad, and I was like, I just met Bob Plager. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And my dad responds with a picture of my dad and my uncle with Bob Plager, and they had the story about when they first met him. And everybody in St. Louis seemingly has a story like that, or they have someone who has a story like that. Here's another great text from the 660. Even though this is a sad day for St. Louis Blues fans all over the country, the one thing that does my heart good is that I was so glad that Bob got to not only hoist the cup, but to spend some time with it and took it to his brother's grave and they shared a moment together with the Stanley Cup. Rest in peace. I I did a story on John Kelly recently about what he did with the Cup and even some of the media members got a chance to 
have the cup for a very limited amount of time. And the Kelly family went out to Dan Kelly's site and brought a tape recorder and played the highlights of Dan Kelly as they were at his gravesite mm-hmm. with the Stanley Cup. And we're going to visit with John Kelly. And I know John knows Bobby as well as anybody and was like family. So uh, to hear those stories, it is pretty amazing of what that championship meant to all of us, but to people that have been around forever, like a Bob Plager, uh, pretty incredible stuff. And here's the way our guest schedule shakes out today. In addition to your mic drops, Tony Twist will join us at 8.15. Jeremy Rutherford, who did a... If you haven't read Jeremy's story on Bobby's reaction to not only last night, but his reaction to the Stanley Cup and walking around Enterprise Center, uh, JR, it's great at the Athletic. Search it out. JR at 845, John Kelly at 9, and Bernie Federico at 930. Coming up, though, we're going to talk some Cardinal baseball. And today's burning question, can Yadi and Wayno do it again? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Prepare to initiate burn. O'Neal, deep right at the wall. Base hit. Arenado Paulson hits it through. What a throw by Yachty. Eight burning questions for the Cardinals 2021 season. Number four. In 2020, in that COVID-ruined season, because it really did kind of ruin things for the Cardinals. Hey, they did play, though. They did. Adam Wainwright played very well. 5-3 and three with a 3.15 earned run average. He led the National League with a couple of complete games and was everything that you would expect any pitcher to be, let alone a guy who turned to 39. Meanwhile, Yadier Molina, who was struck by COVID, was asymptomatic and was running four miles <laughs> while he had it was outstanding behind the plate, hit 262 with a 303 on base and came up with so many key moments for the Cardinals in 2020. The question is, at the age of 39 for Wayno and 38 for Yachty, can they do it again? Father Time is always lurking around the corner, and we know that Father Time is undefeated. And I have bet on Father Time against both of these guys far too many times to have them embarrass me. So I'm going to say yes, that they can do it one more time, that they can do it again, because anytime I say that they can't, they go out and do what they did last season. I uh, talked to John Mosaloc the other day, and I said, so with Yachty and Wayno, you brought him back late. Is it the same old, same old? And he paused for a little bit, and he said, Yes, but no. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, it's it's great to see them out there. He said, don't take them for granted. It was interesting to hear him say that. You don't take them for granted. And he said, the interesting part is that they're 39 and 38. And by the way, they've probably been two of our best players in this camp. Yeah. You know, it's spring training is all about these young guys making an impression. And you want to see Carlson. You want to see O'Neill. You want to see somebody run with it that's a young player that we've been talking about this offseason and here are the the two old guys kind of leading the way nolan arenado said the other day that he had heard about yadier molina he had talked to yadier molina he said i didn't understand what it was like to be around yadier molina he said all these things that you hear about him as to why he's great now i fully understand in what i'm seeing he said this guy just works and works and works and this is coming from one of the hardest Mm -hmm. workers in baseball so to answer your question and what i think um, I think they handle Wayno a little bit differently, potentially, in how they handle some of these young pitchers. You know, if Wayno goes out on and on his first game and blows out, which I don't think is going to happen, and knock on wood that it doesn't, then he can walk away and say, 
I've given it my all. I've got a ton of innings, ton of strikeouts, ton of years, and a ton of money. Where with other guys, I think they're going to be very cautious and handle them with kid gloves. So as you watch the games this year, and we've made a lot of, uh, and it's a valid point, you follow the trends in baseball. Um, last year's a truncated season, as Randy mentioned, and you have 162. So how do you get through these all these innings? I, I think that they handle Wayno a little bit different, where you go with the eye test more so with him than anybody else. And so could he have a great year? Yes. Now, are we talking in August and getting concerned about innings? Potentially, because I think he could run down. I think we saw it maybe at the tail end of last year when he pitched a lot, and I thought he was the team MVP. And in terms of Yachty, I've put the over-under on him playing 120 games, and I said, oh, I, I probably would take the under, maybe. Now, after watching spring training, I'm going to probably take the over because it's hard to get a young guy into the games because he wants to play all the time. Mm-hmm. Dan, and he's still were, producing. Yeah. You were talking yesterday with BK, and Wayno talked actually about it on Tuesday after his start. About he did think that he was done. So he is. He, he understands that he's pitching on essentially borrowed time, but also feels better than he has in years. Right. And something happened that allowed him. And you talked about his playing catch with Dominic Leone, but he, he was able to magically get it back, and he is appreciating this time that he has to pitch. And I have no reason to believe that he won't be able to approximate what he did last year. And uh, I I love the demeanor where he does tell Mike Schilt, Mike Maddox, Mo, hey, you use me as you see fit. And if it happens that I throw my last pitch, I've thrown my last pitch, but he's ready to go out there and battle. He told me that he went to Mike Maddox and said in the NLCS of a couple years ago, hey, if I blow out, um, and you need me to, to kind of wear it, just leave me out there. Don't don't let the young guys get hurt. Don't don't jeopardize careers, that kind of thing. Leave me out there. Uh, to your conversation that you were listening to yesterday with Dominic Leone, so he's playing catch, and Dominic is trying to come back. He needed somebody to play catch with, and he said, oh, my arms started feeling pretty good. Now, we all know Wayno, forever the optimist. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought when I heard that, I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah. I don't really... I love him, but I don't really believe it. And sure enough, in the stretch run, he was their best pitcher down the stretch. And I thought for certain in the game against San Diego a couple years ago, he walked off the mound. Mike Matheny was the manager at that time, and he was throwing. He was topping out at like 82 to 84 max. And I thought, this is it. He's probably hurt or something has happened where it's it's over. It's been a great run, but it's over. So to see him doing what he's doing right now, it's it's one of the great stories in, in the Cardinals camp. I, I would say this, too. The other thing that he changed is that you look at analytics in the game today, and there's so much video available for all players, hitters, pitchers, everybody. And Wayno said something interesting to me. I said, how has this turned around? And he said, you know, you, you definitely don't want to pitch to somebody's strength. And don't get me wrong. I'm not adverse to looking at video and all these different things of what the opposition is doing. But he said, I, I got some pretty good things, too. I got a pretty good curveball. I got, you know, I can spot a ball. I, I can cut it. So why not pitch to my strengths? And mm-hmm. if these guys can't make the adjustment, let's let's focus more on what I do well. And I hope I'm explaining this well, as opposed to what I'm always just kind of, well, I'm worried about doing this with this guy. I'm worried about doing that with that guy. And look at how many curveballs he's throwing. He's throwing an, an inordinate amount of curveballs. And his curveball, by the way, if you want to go the analytic route, is as good analytically as it was 10 years ago, which is incredible. I heard you talking about that the other day. It's unbelievable. It really is. And Michelle, we talked to Kyle McClellan a couple of weeks ago, and it was so notable. And I think every Cardinal pitcher, the young pitchers, should all have to listen to Kyle McClellan say, 
when you're pitching to Yachty, you don't have to think. You just do what he says, agree with his sign, and go pitch. And that's one of the reasons that I think the Cardinals will succeed. And I'm with you on the 120. I'm on the over because I think every pitch the young Cardinals staff throws, and especially if you don't have KK and Michaelis at the beginning of the season, Ponce de Leon and Gant have been around a little bit, but how much of an advantage is it for those guys to have Yadier Molina behind the plate for them? It's an incredible advantage. It's an advantage that I'm sure a lot of young pitchers around the league would pay for if mm-hmm. they, could, they get the opportunity to have it. But he's been such an important part to the development of these young pitchers in the Cardinals organization. I have no doubt that that's going to continue. And Dan mentioned the way both of these guys are performing in spring training. Why wouldn't I think that they could replicate that heading into the season? Adam Wainwright has been the best pitcher on the team. Yadier Molina has proven to us that he still got it when you had the young guy wanting to run and Yachty was like Mm-mm, not mm-hmm. on my watch he's, he still has it so I do think to your point about a truncated season will we see the second half of the season be that's where I get prob- concerned yeah that's where the concern comes in because it could be problematic because as we mentioned father time is there but up until this point right now I have no reason to doubt either one of them yeah I think if we get in like mid-July after the all-star break or early August you, you got to I do believe you have to look at and see at where these guys are. Now, the Cardinals have four off days in the month of April, and the way they're going to handle it, so just for argument's sake, say pitcher X uh, had thrown on uh, whatever day it was, and you're five days later, and it's an off day, you may see some of these guys get skipped to try to help them you know, curtail some of the innings on the pitching side. And they may occasionally have a sixth starter come in, which has been indicated to me. Not a lot, but you may have that. And I I think as much as Yachty wants to play, you're going to have to make the decision for him to say, hey, we won the series. Let's take the day off. Um, Or it's a day game after a night game. Let's take the day off because we need you to be ready if we get into postseason play. And we got to get there first. But if we get there... We want you as, as much as we can, as fresh as you can be. And and that decision needs to be taken out of those guys' hands because if you, if you said it to them, they'd say, I want to play every day. Yeah. So let's answer, answer the burning question then. As of October 1st, 2021, Michelle, will Yachty and Wayno have done it again? Ooh, October 1st. Do it for six months. Do they do it when we start the playoffs? Will they have done it? I'm going to say yes. I'll say yes. I am going to say yes. I'm going to be optimistic as well. And then we'll be talking again. Do they come back? I posed the question yesterday. I don't know if you guys are watching the game. I said to Ricky Horton, I said, um, this time next year, if we're doing games, are, are, are we talking about Yachty and Wayne? Like, they pitched two days ago, and they it was, Wayne was awesome. I mean, he was he just was. terrific. I said, are we saying, like, Yachty and Wayne back again? And, you know, like, fans come to me, and they say, oh, it's going to be great to have fans in the stands for opening day for Yachty and Wayno's final opening day at home. And I go, what, what makes you think it's their final opening day? Why should we? Yachty certainly doesn't want to think that. I was just going to no. say, especially Yachty, this is a, a guy who always has that burning intensity when it comes to competition. But you don't think that knowing he's got a one-year deal that there's an extra log or five on that fire? For sure. I, I, they're going to play until they pull the jersey off these guys <laughs> until 30 other teams or 29 other teams say, now we're good. The Cardinals' regular season opener one week from today in Cincinnati. Wow. Here it is. Can't wow. wait. Can't wait. I don't know if it feels like baseball season yet. Maybe because I'm not down in spring training. Yeah, that's probably yeah. It. Okay. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Michelle, Dan, Randy, and you. Time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Tony Twist will join us coming up at 815. And, oh, by the way, you should know that there's a lot of cool stuff happening at 101 ESPN, including our App Madness, 101 ESPN, and our sister stations down the hall are all competing in App Madness, which ends next Wednesday, March 31st. So what do you need to do? Here's what you need to do. Download the 101 ESPN mobile app. It's Mm -hmm. easy. It's in your iTunes store. Do they still have the iTunes store? I know they're getting rid of it. I think it's still there. There's the App Store. The App Store. Uh, The Google Play Store. Whatever you want to do. Anyway, you (laughs) download it. I knew that. What? The App Store. Go to the App Store. Well, okay. Randy doesn't have an Apple device. Oh, okay. So yeah. he's not. All right, on you're the off the hook. <laughs> so register between now and next Wednesday. That's all you have to do. And these cool giveaways are there for you. You can win $500 cash. You can win a Traeger Grill. You can win a replica Nolan Arenado jersey. You can win a rolling cooler, maybe a 101 ESPN prize pack. And all you need to do is participate in App Madness. Help us win by downloading our app, please. And then next Wednesday, we'll stop talking about it. Can I jump in to take it or leave it yes, right away? Because I've been thinking about this. This is from the uh, 636. Take it or leave it. Bobby Plager gets a statue outside Enterprise. That's a really good one, and I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it as well. And if you had a statue of him, I think the way I would do it, it would not be as a player. It would be Bobby in a suit with the tie not quite all the way up. <laughs> and maybe a cup of coffee Definitely and smiling with fans all around, kids, middle-aged men, women, children. I, I would do it with, and I would call him just the greatest ambassador of St. Louis blues hockey. And that would be on maybe the plaque of the statue, but I would not do as a player. It would be for me, at least it would be Bobby Plager as a, um, with all those kids and all those fans, or it would be Bobby Plager smiling and signing an autograph to a an adoring fan. And, boy, you'd have a lot of people saying, hey, you want to go to the Blues game tonight? Meet me at the Plager statue. Oh, that would oh, be great. Oh, I love that. Yep. How, who else has spread the good word of, of Blues hockey more than Bob Plager? Not many. No. Uh, nobody. Nobody has. 50, no. 50 seasons, 52 years. Yeah, nobody. I really would. I, I would think about doing that. And I love the cup of coffee. What a great yeah. detail. Yeah, definitely. Either a cup of coffee or signing an autograph or arm in arm with Blues fans with jerseys on and it's like him taking a picture. Yeah. So good. Because everybody's got a picture too. Guys, Major League Baseball has sent a memo to all 30 teams, this according to the New York Post, that they're going to crack down on the use of foreign substances on baseballs by pitchers. Take it or leave it. Because of their hitting scandal... Astros pitchers have gotten off lightly with their use of foreign substances on baseballs. Oh, I'm going to take it. It's absolutely minimized because of the trash cans. Garrett Cole was mentioned as Mm -hmm. one of those that was putting a lot of foreign substances on the baseball. Now with the Yankees, then with the Astros at the time of when this was brought up. It's one of the... um, What's the best way to put it? Everybody knows that foreign substances are being used on baseballs. And and when we go into April, 
I'm going to tell you what. There's a lot of hitters when you're playing in 35-degree weather up east in Boston and New York and some of these places, Philly. And those hitters are saying, I hope he has foreign substances on yeah. the baseball because he throws 98 miles an hour. And if it's slick and it gets away, I'm taking one in my head. Mm-hmm. It's just the matter of how much you, you know, stretch how far you're going with the foreign substances. What the interesting thing is what they're going to do is look at like spin rates and look at various things that analytically show if all of a sudden this this player comes back and he's throwing this unbelievable curveball and you go, hmm. How's that happening? And they're going to have compliance officers in the dugout, in the hallways, in the in the clubhouses, looking at the baseball and testing it with a third party. So I think it's kind of interesting. When the Garrett Cole situation came out and there were the text messages, remember, that were yeah. released? I think a lot of people assume that might blow up into a bigger deal. But to your point, I remember reading about it, and I guess the general consensus was everybody in baseball knows about this. This is not that big of a deal. The thing is, though, Trevor Bauer went to a lab and threw and tried to increase his spin rate to the level of Houston pitchers. And unless he put a foreign substance on his hand, he couldn't Couldn't do it. it. Mm -hmm. That's right. And this, this is a super talented guy who talked about Houston right after, was it? Right after Verlander got there, or Cole, one of those uh, two. Was Verlander, I thought, and said, "How how this happened? How did he magically develop this spin rate that he never had before in Detroit?" Right, and I would guess that Trevor Bauer's comments about this probably precipitated Major League Baseball's desire to do this. If anybody watched the 2006 World Series, one of the most obvious photos and video that you can find was Kenny Rogers mm-hmm. with a foreign substance. Everybody knew he was doing it. It was pointed out on the broadcast. Now, Tony was very tight with Jim Leland, so there wasn't going to be... Now, if it was Dusty Baker over there, maybe we heard (laughs) something different. But the point being is, like, why am I going to tell on him when probably my guys he are doing it. Right. Right. Exactly. So what's the point? <laughs> then but it's the Spider-Man meme. Exactly. Them just pointing yeah, right. at exactly. Okay, you guys, the Blues and Wild, you can hit listen tonight here on 101 ESPN pregame starting at 6 o'clock. Take it or leave it. The Blues win this one for Bob Plager. Take it. Absolutely. Take it. And they score five goals. Oh, Ooh, that would perfect. be amazing. That would be amazing. Five yeah. goals. I am interested, by the way, to see what the Blues... The Blues are so good in what they do with their social media, their presentation on the ice. It's just, it's at another level. They've it's gotten so great. good with it. And they're really uh, one of the, the leaders in this for all sports franchises. It's been pointed out in various magazines that, that cover the business side of sports. I'm interested in what they come out with their sweater. And do they all take the ice with number five tonight? Or do you wait oh. till you go home? Or do you obviously want to have a patch of Bobby on your your sweater, something to, uh, you know, remember the great Bob Plager. And the Blues are back tomorrow night, I believe, against Anaheim. So they can set up their home jerseys that way, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Emily, what do you got for us from the text line, 65780? From the 314, take it or leave it, other potential statues could be Armstrong and Baruby. Yeah, I don't think the Blues are going to go overboard. There's really not a ton of space out there. And I would think that the Blues will probably confine it to people that actually wore the Blue Note. It's got to be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And going in is, you know, like Pronger. That'd be something to think about. Yeah. But then how do you have a statue that represents the cup win? Because you think at some point you'd need something out there. Well, they did. And it would have been number 27. Well, that's the thing I was thinking is it would have been Petro hoisting out the fireworks in the background, but I'm not sure that happens anymore. So who is it then? It'd still be number 90. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah.
But he's got to, to me, if you're going to get a statue, it's got to be, now Bobby is not a Hall of Famer, but Bobby is, he's in a class in its, its, you know, on on itself. Um, It's either got to be a Hall of Famer or somebody that's made an impact so great in this franchise that it goes beyond even being a member of hockey or Mm -hmm. baseball's Hall of Fame, I think. From the 314, take it or leave it, Nagowski will make the media forget about that player we traded away that turned out to be a mistake. Oh, what's his name? Uh, I so you guys are looking at me. Thanks no, a lot. It's um, Luke Voigt, obviously. He, yeah. 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 You mean Randy A? I guess oh, Randy A. Okay, I, I was thinking Luke Voigt because Nagoski is more like Voigt than he is like Randy A. Well, you're right about that. A uh, little bigger body. <laughs> yeah. Not quite as fast. Doesn't have quite the power. Spent a bunch of time in the minors. Yeah. I John Nagowski has had an exceptional camp. He's making it very hard for the Cardinals not to take him. And with the news of yesterday with Justin Williams getting a fourth option and the fact that Bader starts on the injured list, it, it, if they do carry him, it makes it a lot easier decision to do so. Um, I would have no problem with John Nagowski being on this this roster. I mean, he's he has done everything you possibly can to make yes. this team yeah. and come out of nowhere and do it. He really has. We, we talked about that. How do you say no to him at this point? He's done every single thing you could have hoped for. Yeah, and the Cardinals have talked about now carrying five on their bench. So it's going to be 13 pitchers, 13 uh, position players. So if you start doing the numbers, there's still a battle there. And they, they keep saying, the Cardinals do in the front office, and Mike Schilt, hey, we're evaluating as we go down the stretch to the final game. And if that was the case, yesterday was a big game for certain players. And I, I said that going into the broadcast. I said, you know, it's it's a run-of-the-mill uh, spring training game. I get it. But you had Austin Dean in the lineup. You had Nagowski in the lineup. You had Rondon at shortstop. Mm-hmm. And the guy that obviously has separated himself from everybody else in this camp has been John Nagowski. He played left field for fans that didn't see it last night. He is a first baseman um, and did fine. There was no – there was no. I, I thought he got a, a bad jump on one ball, but – if you want to hide him, you can. Yeah. One more from Emily. From the 217, take it or leave it, Yachty gets one last gold glove this year. Yeah, I'll take that. I'm going to leave it. You think Real Muto? I go Real Muto, and I, I love, love, and he doesn't get enough play. And after watching him last year and seeing him a bunch, Jacob Stallings of the Pirates, he is really good. Really good defensively, and Real, Real Muto would be my other one. I think McCann, too. McCann will get some mm-hmm. run, too, because he's right. an yeah, analytics darling. Yeah, and it, it'll be interesting to see, because we'll see a lot of him, it'll be interesting to see Will Smith emerge, too. Yeah, that's another he's one. He's a really good young catcher. Um, but it, it's funny. I mean, last year was all based on analytics, and to the texter's point, you know, you get in some people that – will vote because they want to vote for guys that they've seen before or did something to your team to make an impression. Right. And that's that's part of this, too. Thanks, Emily. And thank you. Thank you very much for your texts. Coming up, we want to hear more from you with your mic drops and your texts, your memories of Bobby Plager. That's our fresh take on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> I asked uh, Mike Caruso, I want my brother's family on the ice with me, not knowing that this was going to happen. So we're all there on the ice, and my number's going up, and my family's there. And then when it stops halfway up, uh, like everybody, it's silent. My kids, my family look at me, and what's going on? I goes, I don't know. I said, maybe they're going to leave it halfway up uh, for this game. I don't know. And then uh, it's all dark, and you look up 
was a light that put the light on number eight and all the sudden it started to move and slowly come down and and it was coming right down the lights spotlights on it so the whole building and everybody i saw to pride that night people were in there grown men tears in their eyes and i look over at bart's family we were all tears in our eyes and then when he stopped beside me and for a minute and then we both went up together it's like he brought me up there Barkley Plager has brought his brother Bobby up there again with the passing of Bobby Plager yesterday at the age of 78 here in St. Louis. Two of the all-time greats, one of the iconic hockey families in St. Louis. Obviously, we have the the Kelly family, which is iconic here in St. Louis. Uh, The Plager family, there have been so many great people involved with this organization, but none better, none more notable than Bobby Plager. It's 8.04, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we do want to hear from you, your stories, your uh, reminiscences about the great human being, Bobby Plager. And let's hear from Sharon, who's got a mic drop for us. Sharon and Glencoe, I met Bobby at the Blues merchandise sale right after they won the cup. And he just was such a kind and personable guy and just shared so many stories with me. Uh, and as if he had known me forever. And I was we were there together so long, people thought I was his photographer because I was asked to take so many pictures of fans with him. So um, just a really, really neat dude. The, the hype is real in this one. Thank you, Sharon. And we get this text from the 636 just came in. If there's one thing to take away from all this, Bobby did not just get his parade, but he received everything a blue should receive. An all-star game, a winter classic, a Stanley Cup, love from his fans and city, and so much more. Bobby was not just a great man, but a champion to St. Louis forever. And a champion for St. Louis forever. He represented St. Louis and I think probably got a lot of players who came to this organization to understand what sports and what blues hockey means to this community and to fall in love with St. Louis in a lot of ways. Bobby was always quick, too, with a quip. I mean, everybody's talking about how funny he was and his jokes Mm -hmm. and would put a smile on somebody's face. But uh, Jr. talked about it in The Athletic, which is a again, if you haven't had the chance to read it, read his story on, on Bobby Plager. But he said after Carl Gunnarsson scored the game winning goal in OT of game two in Boston, Bobby referenced the 1970 Stanley Cup finals. And that was Bobby Orr, number four. He said, well, last time we were here it was their number four. Now it's our number four. I mean, who would think right away to think about that? But the funny one that he, he said was when he first got to St. Louis and uh, he was traded away and, and came to uh, the St. Louis Blues. It was a great quote, and I'm trying to find it here, but it was kind of foreshadowing. He said, uh, hockey's a strange sport, Bobby said at the time. It's amazing how with one good trade, you can go all the way from last place to first. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that was Bobby then, and that was Bobby uh, up until the day he passed. One of the all-time great stories with Bobby was when he took over as the Blues head coach in 90. 90- 293 yeah and he had he was a legit choice because he had won the turner cup with peoria in 1991 and he replaced brian sutter and he just didn't like coaching nhl players anymore he decided between games one and ten i think it was like after game eight or so he said i'm I'm just not going to do this i'm going to resign and then he tells the blues after game 10 of his head coaching career in the NHL, I'm going to resign, but I want to coach one more game. Penguins were coming to town. Scotty Bowman was their coach. The blues win the game. Bobby Plager's last game, six, four over the penguins. And for the rest of his life, he was able to tell Bo- uh, Scotty Bowman, 
I'm undefeated against you as a coach. He <laughs> <laughs> loved that. <laughs> he said, nobody else can say that to Scotty Bowman. Isn't that the truth? Here's Ryan on 101 ESPN. So my Bobby Plager story is um, when I was about five, six years old, maybe, uh, 2001, I was at a restaurant, and my dad noticed him, and he told me he's a foreign blue, and of course he's like, don't go up and bother him, and the waiter said, oh, no, he's very approachable. And anyway, Bobby ended up taking me out in the back to his car, took out a picture and signed it to me, and it really touched me and made me fall in love with the game of hockey that day. The generosity was just off the charts. And whether it was with his time or a situation like that, or I I was, uh, and Michelle, you and I both did the Blues game day parades last year. Mm -hmm. And I was in the uh, Zamboni with, with Bobby. And he treated everybody. He had one of those people that had that unique ability to make every person feel like they were the most important person that he was around. Well, think about that Mike Trop. So think about as a young kid, Bobby Plager takes you out to his car and grabs a photo and signs it. Now, do you think you ever turned down watching a hockey game, going to a hockey game, becoming a Blues fan because of that? And that's one of thousands of stories in this town to help spread the word about the organization. And that's why he was so special. And I just think how rare it is to have the availability to someone like Bob Plager. I feel like in today's sports world, it's rare that someone will stop and take a photo with you or stop to sign something for you. But it seems like he really enjoyed that. He enjoyed connecting with the fans and enjoyed connecting with people within the game. And he wanted to talk to people. And that type of athlete or or member of a sports organization like Stan Musial or like a Bob player, I think is getting more and more rare. It, it is. I've been to countless dinners with former athletes, current athletes, and not all, but some will say, hey, I'm, I'm eating right now. This is my time. Mm-hmm. And, and I understand that. Right. You know, that's their family time or that's their personal time. I do understand that. However, there are others that go above and beyond and say, it's okay. You know, I'll put down my fork and my knife and whatever they're drinking or whatever and, and say, hey, I'm happy to sign or take a picture. And, you know, it's one minute of their life they won't get back, but it's a minute that that person will never forget. Absolutely. And Bob was never affected by the social media age. People could have cameras and always take pictures of him. But as an athlete, he didn't have to deal with it. An athlete now, whether you're a member of the Cardinals or the Blues, you have to deal with people having their cameras out all the time. And I think there's probably less appetite on the part of active athletes to actually interact with the fans. I also think athletes don't go out nearly as much as we think that they might. You know, you hear the stories that make the news. But for every one of those, there's countless guys that aren't doing that because of the situations we're talking about. They don't want to put themselves in a bad situation. But Bobby at his restaurants, and a lot of guys just put their name on the restaurant and they, you know, take in some of the proceeds of whatever they get, uh, some of the money. But Bobby would be there all the time (laughs) because he wanted to talk to people. He loved it. Yeah. He absolutely loved it, which is amazing in this day and age. Much of the movie Slapshot is based upon the The St. Louis Blues and the Plaguers. Yeah. The scene where the Hansons go into the stand, (laughs) that's that's the Plaguers in Philadelphia in 1971. (laughs) Yeah. And Bobby was the guy. The cops come to the door and they say, the Hansons. Bobby stayed back. The police are asking for number five, and the, the coaches and other players are saying, who's number five? Bob's taking off his sweater and everything, and they don't allow the police to come into the locker room. And then they were able, after the police had took multiple players and coaches away, they were able to sneak Bobby out late because he was the main instigator in going into the stands in Philly. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. That's why I'm looking forward to Twister. I, 
because in in hockey, to me, you have great characters. I mean, there are great characters Absolutely. that are on and off the ice. Tony Twist is a great character. Kelly Chase, a great character. Uh, Bob Plager, great character. I'm curious if you got those three together in a room and a couple pops rolling, what that was like <laughs> with Tony Twist. And if, if Bob, you know, Bob was a rough guy. He was tough. Mm-hmm. What kind of advice he gave Tony Twist for oh, a fight? It's it's unbelievable. And yeah. we'll actually, and that was our fresh take here on 101 ESPN. We'll catch up with Twister next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle Smallman, Dan McLaughlin, Randy Carricker reminiscing about the great Bobby Plager. And it's a pleasure to bring to the Brown and Crouppen Cele- celebrity line an old friend, a great guy, uh, former blue Tony Twist, number uh, 18 for the Blues. And I still see a lot of those number 18 mm-hmm. jerseys around. Twister, great to have you with us. How you doing? Well, good morning, boys and girls. Hey, uh, first of all, we, we talked yesterday, and yeah, we've all had better 24-hour periods than we've had right now, but you've had uh, a long time now, a few hours to reflect on Bobby Plager and the life and times of Bobby Plager. What's your strongest memory? What was the greatest impact that Bobby had on you? Well, well part and parcel of the reason that I uh, played for the Blues. I mean, that was the greatest impact ever. He was part of uh, part of the reason I was drafted. I uh I don't know if, if he wasn't. Uh, he's definitely one of one of the guys who were vouching for me. <laughs> uh, outside outside of that, Bobby Plager had a massive impact on, on every on every every guy he touched or any guy that he was able to to engage with. But I think there was a real attachment with with himself and a and certainly a part of Bobby with each one of the guys who exercised the roles like myself and Chaser. And, and uh, any any of those, like Cam, and any, any guy that, that played the rough and tough game has a piece of Bobby with him. Tony, I know that it meant so much to so many Blues alumni to see the Blues finally win the Cup, but perhaps no more than Bobby Plager. It was really special to see him get that moment. I beg anybody to tell me any different when I make this statement. There isn't a guy who bled blue more than Bobby Plager. Yeah, there's one. Th- there's no doubt about it. He for for 50 seasons waited for that cup. Uh, he coached you down in Peoria, Twister, and there's some great stories from those days. But one thing that that strikes me, and you and I have talked about this a lot, but I've talked to anybody, Nelson Emerson or Chaser or Guy Bear, man, that team loved each other, and Bob loved you guys. Well, Bob brought that team together in a in an unorthodox and. Uh, Definitely um, a Bob Plager fa- fashion. We had, you know, we had a talented hockey club, and he let us be us. But he also gave us direction. The parameters that we operated in were were set out by Bobby, but they were wide. They can definitely they could definitely be pushed. But under the guidance of of a guy that understood that we had a, a great team, he brought us together, and we won a cup. It's a classic example would be playing in Phoenix. We uh, were on a terrible losing streak, and uh, we get off the bus at the hotel. We were staying the night in Phoenix, and Bobby said, nobody home before 3 o'clock. I understand it was, you know, the game didn't end until 10 a.m. So <laughs> nobody home before 3 o'clock. 
No, he was serious. I didn't ask Chaser and I made sure nobody's home home three and Chaser and I wandered in about four or five, I guess. <laughs> and at the uh at the uh the, at, right at the piano is Bobby Plager. He breakfast of all things. He said, Good work. And he said, uh, well, the buzz leaves at eight. So we went to the airport and we'd uh landed in Peoria. Immediately right to practice. Now, it's not because of any other reason we're on a big slide, but Bobby had something else to teach. So after practice, he said, everybody who had a beer, other end and back. Everybody skates. Everybody who had two, other end and back. Everybody after about six or seven beer, some of the French guys start dropping off. So by about beer nine, all the French guys are not skating, but everybody else is. And, you know, they're kind of smart and proud, but, you know, they were they didn't have as many beers. And, you know, a couple of them got home a little bit early. But Bob didn't mention getting home early. He just mentioned the beers. But he already knew that the guys had been home by 1 o'clock when they were supposed to be out till 3. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this goes on until beer 16, 17. So we're doing 18 down and backs. Uh, you know, that's been a – we're in a losing streak. We got back from – Phoenix, we immediately practice, and now we're getting bag dragged. And uh, at about beer 22 or 3, he said, all right, everybody off the ice, except for you French guys. And he skated those guys for an hour, hour and 15 minutes, and he skated them hard. And he said and he said the butt, because we were practicing in Pekin, Illinois, so we'd already packed up, showered. We bust, to, we bust back to the uh, Peoria Arena. And he left, he told the bus to leave and come back and pick him up. An hour and a half, an hour and 15 minutes of skating, they picked him up and then went back, picked up the French guys. And the next morning in practice, he goes, when I tell everybody to go out as a team, that means you go out like a team. If I say 3 o'clock, doesn't mean you come home early. You don't have to drink, but you have to stay together. An unorthodox way of saying, if you don't want to be a part of this club, you won't be part of this club. And if you don't be part of this club, we won't be winners. It's tremendous, awesome. uh, a tremendous great. way of an unorthodox way of putting the team together. In that ever, uh, Twister is Tam McLaughlin. Great to hear your voice. Uh, I know you and Bobby were very, very close, and and the the kinship uh, on and off the ice, and what you did on the ice. Pull back the curtain a little bit if you can, and that was a great story. But uh, the conversations that you guys would have away from the ice, and how Bobby helped you in your career. Well, I mean. Well, which one? I mean, I can't pinpoint one in September. I mean, I don't know how many Bobby. Bobby has more stories than he can remember. So I mean, every opportunity that you had to, to spend with Bobby was a, an opportunity to learn about the game. And it wasn't about just the game of hockey. It was the mechanics of hockey. Anybody could uh, point out X's and O's. And there's a lot of people that can give you the you know, the, the, the grit of the game, but the mechanics of the game, how a team operates, and how a team works, and, you know, the, 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 the importance of what a dressing room is. Bobby's one of the most integral and key parts of, a, of any dressing room when he was playing or not playing. You know, he had the ability to, to bring somebody together. You know, his, his insight in the game was, it would just come from a different perspective. 
a guy who played and one that was very a, a great introspective, mind you. You know, a guy gets traded. Classic example: a, a great player gets traded, and you know, we were talking about this one evening, and he goes, "Well, you gotta understand." I said, "Well, they didn't get anything for him." He goes, "Well, you got one team that has a talent that's uh, by cancer in the dressing room. Got to get rid of them. The other team's just hoping to get as much as they can." Because they know they got a cancer there. The other team who's getting them, well, they know they're getting a cancer. It's hoping that they can fix it. So there's a, an interesting perspective on a, on, a, on a trade when you think that one team got less than the other. When the, when the team trading the great player gets two grinders that mix really well in the, in the, in the, in the, in the club and bring them and elevate them to a, to a Stanley Cup. So it's a, some of those introspectives are not one that everybody would take a look at or even have the depth of which Bobby could explain and had stories behind each one of these things. Twister, people that are listening now, there's some young people that don't remember you playing, don't remember the, the code of the enforcer. And I thought that was one of the great things that Bobby taught me is about the code of the enforcer. What, how did Bobby treat you as an enforcer? Yeah, Bobby gave us all the opportunity. Like I said, there's a piece of Bobby Plager in each one of us guys who, who, who did that job, and you know, guys that played rough and tumble. There's a, there's a piece of it in there for a reason because you know Bob was able to. Well, Bob was a great captain and uh, an ambassador for 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 us um, on two on two on two levels. One, you know. Not always the most talented players, but Bobby, you know, Bobby had some skill, and he was able to, you know, some of these, for me especially, you know, you know, you got to do this, Twister. You got to, you got to work on this. You know, that's not something you don't really need to work on. This is something you got to work on. He has, and and he had, he has, you know, from well, every day, from every day I met him, he's always got something, a one-liner, one little thing to remember. Every one of us has got that from Bobby a hundred times. You start adding up a hundred times and two hundred times, boy, I tell you what, you can find something to use. And, and Tony, one of my favorite stories is how he was not at all bothered. You had a propensity to go buzz the opposing bench, do you, at, whether it be at the NHL level or down at Peoria at the IHL. Do you have a particular story that you remember about buzzing the opposing bench? Oh, uh, I mean. Not one that I can really tell, Randy, but yeah, there's, I, there's, there's a, I've done it more than one occasions. Uh, you know, may have been in the stands somewhere in a in a in a Fort Wayne place. Um, there's there's been more than one or two buzzings, Randy. One one that I don't rather bring up right now. Okay. <laughs> Tony, you mentioned that no one bled blue like Bob Plager. What did he teach you about the importance of wearing that sweater with the blue note on it? Uh, no more important than his quote, his candid statement. You play for the emblem, not for the nameplate in the back. That's Bobby Player. It is. Twister, we know you're emotional, and we appreciate you taking some time because this is a loss of a, a great man and I know a real mentor to you. And we appreciate you taking the time this morning. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon, but thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks. Have a great, night, great morning. You too. Thank you. That's Tony Twist, former Blue, who... Mm. 
Hey, Bob, not only, for, and Dan, you asked from a hockey and an off-ice sense, when Tony came to the United States and started playing for Peoria, Bob Plager helped him become a man. Absolutely. Helped so many guys, and that was an incredible interview. And I think people that are listening get the uh, the understand. I mean, we can all say it. You know, We're around his media, and, and we know Bobby and knew Bobby on a, a separate level. But if you're in the dressing room or you're wearing the sweater and he's your coach and you're part of the team, you, you just got an idea of, how important he is to this franchise and the lasting legacy that he will keep. And people like Tony Twist, you think of him as being this rough, tumble guy, and you hear his emotions and how important he was in his life, and and that's just one. That's just one example. You know, Bob loved those guys, Tony, Mm -hmm. Kelly Chase, many, many others, many others. But those guys were special to him, and he took them under his wing and made sure that they knew what the job was, like Tony said, you know, Tony wasn't going to go out and score 40 goals, but there was a job that was going to get him to the NHL, and he got him to the NHL. And Tony was a preeminent, tough guy in the game. But I can tell you this. I, I know for a fact that they would have fights or they would have a, a particular play, and the first guy they'd go to wasn't a coach, wasn't an assistant, wasn't a teammate. It was Bob Plager. Yeah. What did you see, Bob? And help me out. Yeah. And by the way, if you weren't uh, an enforcer that adhered to the code, if you were bothering one of the skilled players on Tony Twist's team, he would go past your bench, the opponent's bench, and he'd say to the coach, hey, tell your guy to calm down or your best player's not going to finish this game. Yep. I'll I'll never forget being at the Saturday game. uh, Flyers put one on the Blues, and Eric Lindros Uh, is is on the ice, and Tony Twist is skating around the ice and taking his stick and banging him on his his backside, his butt, and trying to get him to drop the gloves. And it was the only reason the place was still, the, the building was still full, is to watch that happen. And he went around for like 90 seconds. That's an eternity in hockey, <laughs> trying to get that done. That's That kind of stuff happened all the time. And a lot of it was Bob Plager saying, hey, you stick up for your teammates. And it was so well put by Tony. You represent the emblem on the chest and not the name on the back. Great to have Tony Twist with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Ryan is back for day two of the fight here on Carriker Smallman McLaughlin on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Carriker and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morgan. Carriker and Smallman with Danny Mack here on 101 ESPN. It's 8.36. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's time for the fight. If you were listening to the fight yesterday, Ryan defeated Randy. They actually, Dan, both got three questions correct. Mm-hmm. But then when it came to the tiebreaker question, Ryan was closest to the pin. So he takes the W. So Ryan is back with us this morning. What's up, Ryan? How are you so far today? Good morning. We're doing all right. Tough day for St. Louis sports, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you a uh, Blues fan? Of course. Yes, sir. All right. We got lots of hockey for you. Good luck. I'm polling for you. Thank you, sir. You got it. All right, Ryan. Question number one. Who replaced Lynn Patrick as the Blues head coach midway through the first season? Was it Al Arbor, Scotty Bowman, or Sid Abel? Wow. Um, About 30 years before I was born. So that's um, tough for you. Yeah, let's go with uh, 
Al Arbor. Who was the first player ever drafted by the Blues in 1968? Kurt Bennett, Gary Edwards, Vic Teal. Um, Vic Peel. Are you going with Vic Teal, sir? I think we're going to go with Vic Teal. <laughs> okay, sounds good to me. Brian, I think these questions might be difficult for you based on your age bracket. <laughs> yeah, it's you... a little rough. It's a little rough. Yeah. Question number three for you. Who was the Blues' first owner? Was it R. Hal Dean, James D. Norris, or Sid Solomon Jr.? The unfortunate part about this is that Randy's going to know every single one of these questions. Definitely. Um, Definitely. Can, I, can I have those options one more time? Sure. Who was the first Blues owner? Was it R. Hal Dean, James D. Norris, or Sid Solomon Jr.? Let's go with Sid. <laughs> Bobby Plager wore number five. Barkley wore number eight for the Blues, now retired by the team. What number did Brother Bill wear during his time in St. Louis? Was it six, 21, or 23? Hmm. Let's go with 21. All right, we're checking our score here. Shouldn't take long. <laughs> Brian, I'm assuming that you don't feel great about your performance here. Uh, no, not not great. <laughs> did, you to, did you have to guess on every single one? Um, I had at least heard the names of the coach. So uh, beyond that, yes. Yes, ma'am. So you're a Blues fan. Did you ever run into Bobby Plager? I did, yes, sir. I actually lived uh, kind of across the street from his Hampton spot when they were getting that opened up, and he was in there quite a bit. So I got to run across him a few times. I'm sure he'd want us to celebrate today as opposed to be somber. Absolutely. Well put. Randall, say hello to Ryan. Ryan, welcome back. Good to have you with us. Thanks, Randy. Now, Randy, I must let you know that based on Ryan's age bracket, he wasn't born during the time period where we're asking most of these questions. And I think he... I wasn't born in the 20s, and I know Babe Ruth hit 714 okay, homers. Right. Dan, see what he oh, does yeah. here? I'm yeah. just, I'm just you're saying. You're great, Randy. I think you're amazing. <laughs> you might have a little bit of an edge in this fight. Okay, because I'm old. Oh, okay, I get it. No, no, because you know history. You know oh. St. Louis sports history. That's all I'm getting Let's at. See. Okay. Randy, who replaced Lynn Patrick as the Blues head coach midway through the first season? Scotty Bowman. Who was the first player ever drafted by the Blues in 68? 1968, our first. It wasn't Gene Carr. I always get this one wrong. Give me the lifeline here, Danny. Kurt Bennett, Gary Edwards, or Vic Teal? It was uh, that goaler, Gary Edwards. Randy, who was the Blues' first owner? Uh, it was Sid Solomon Jr. Bob Plager wore number five, Barkley number eight. What number did Brother Bill wear during his time in St. Louis? I think... I think he was. I'm not positive about this, but uh, I seem to remember seeing a picture where he was number six. All right, Emily, ring the bell. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. I feel for you, Ryan. This was a tough draw for you. It really was. But Randy did defeat you three to one. You at least got one, right? Old Sid saved me. <laughs> I knew three. I didn't know the last one. I didn't either. Okay. Clearly. Okay. Clearly. All right. Well, let's run through our answers here. So Scotty Bowman did replace Lynn Patrick as the Blues head coach midway through the first season. And the Blues went with a goaler in 68. That was Gary Edwards. Their first owner was Sid Solomon Jr. And the number that was worn by brother Bill Plager during his time in St. Louis was 
You know, maybe you should just guess this on any number. It was 23. Oh, it's a good goal. Good you know, goal, yeah. but that was even before Jordan and before everybody else. So, but great players wore 23. I think Jordan may have worn it in honor of Billy Plager. Maybe so. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, Ryan, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a good day, guys. Thanks, you too. Ryan. You're great. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. How about that? He's like, yeah, went over to Bobby's place. Bobby was in there all the time. I mean, there are countless thousands, if not millions of stories about that and Bobby's connection to so many fans here in St. Louis. Great, great stuff. And uh, we have an amazing day of guests, so you'll want to stick around throughout the day here on 101 ESPN. Brett Hall will be on the station. Alexander Steen will be on the station. I believe Petro will be on the station. Uh, Scotty Bowman will be in the afternoon show. So uh, a lot of great guests coming up throughout the day here on 101 ESPN, including... Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic, who was very close with Bob Plager. JR is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. There weren't many media members closer to Bob Plager than Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic, who has a great piece up at The Athletic right now. And JR is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and we were texting back and forth tomorrow. And uh, I guess because of the unexpected nature of this, even though Bobby was 78, it, it, was, a, it was a gut punch yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, it definitely was, Randy. And you know, I appreciate you saying that. I think, though, we were, we were all close with Bobby, and, and that's the biggest theme of today not just with uh, some of the media members or players like Tony Twist. What a, what a great interview there, but also uh, with the fans. I mean, to hear these mic drops and listen to the fans tell all these personal stories, that's how Bobby made you feel. And so last night after I got done writing my story, I believe it was about 2.30 in the morning, I got to bed at 3. I turned you guys on right at 7 because I, I wanted to hear what you had to say and I wanted to uh, hear the, the sound bites of, of Bobby and, and what a great job by you guys. Uh, you, you've, you've discussed Bobby exactly uh, like he was. And uh, I got to admit, you know, I haven't teared up, cried since uh, 2003 when my mother passed away and, you know, a few tears there. And um, then I said, I got to get up. I got to take my son to school. And I walked in his room and uh, he got up eight years old and he said, dad, today is dress for success day. And I'm wearing my blues jersey for Bobby Plager. Oh, That's wow. awesome. That's yeah. great to hear. That is so special, JR. Well, one of my favorite memories of Bob Plager is seeing him in the press box during the Blue Stanley Cup run. I could not believe how invested he was. He reminded me of every single fan, the way that he would pace back and forth and how he was so nervous about the outcome of the game that he could barely even watch. And you have a great piece at The Athletic that everyone should absolutely read that really illustrates this. But can you just take us through those moments and kind of describe what it was like to watch Bob be so nervous watching the game. Michelle, it was amazing. I've covered the Blues 15-plus years, uh, you know, other than the Stanley Cup, uh, day number one. It was during the Dallas series. Uh, Mike Crusoe had kind of told me that, you know, Bob doesn't watch the game. And I had been covering the Blues for years, as I said. What do you mean he doesn't watch the game? He doesn't watch the game. <laughs> and so I turned around, and he just wanders around the rink. And, and I said, uh, I said, Bob, is there any way I could, could follow you? And he said, yeah, yeah, how about the next game? No problem. And I told my boss what I wanted to do, and he said, and not cover the game? And, and, and to his credit, we talked it out, and uh, you know, we came around on the idea. And so I think that 
What I remember from that day, Michelle, it was unbelievable. Every step he took in that building, and he had them counted out. He knew how many steps were around the rink. Uh, he'd say, "And Jeremy, come in here. This is where I go during the first intermission." And and uh, and then the same ushers would greet him and say, "Oh, there you are. It must be the first intermission, Bob." You know, and, 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 and they knew it all. And, and I'll never forget too. Uh, at one point during our walk around the rink, uh, he 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 noted that uh, Dallas scored. And he marked the spot with his foot. And then we did an entire loop around the rink. And as we approached that spot, he got to it and he stepped over it. And he says, don't step there. They scored when I stepped there. So he just, he just, he, he could not bear to watch. And I guess that I can only imagine that's because of just 50 years of waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, it looked like there was a chance. Yeah, thanks for your coverage, guys. Talk to you later. That is the great Jeremy Rutherford on 101 ESPN. And again, if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, get a subscription to The Athletic. It's worth the price of admission just to read his story today about Bob Plager. Couldn't agree more. And while you're there, make sure to read the story that we referenced about Mm -hmm. Bob watching the Stanley Cup games or not watching the Stanley Cup games. (laughs) Right. Coming up, we want to hear more from you with our... uh, Actually, no. You know what we're going to do? We're going to talk to John Kelly, the voice of the Blues on FS Midwest. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Bobby, we love you. How long have you been waiting for this and how good does it feel? Well, first of all, it's unbelievable. My goal was to win a Stanley Cup. I never got to win it three times there. But this year, I got my parade. And it was a heck of a parade. Thank you, St. Louis. You're the greatest fan. John Kelly with Bob Plager a couple of years ago at the Blues Parade. That was a celebration right under the arch. And the voice of the Blues on FS Midwest, John Kelly, joins us now on 101 ESPN. And, J.K., first of all, thanks so much. We know that this is a tough time for you and the Kelly family, obviously very close to the Plager family. So we appreciate you coming on. No problem, Randy. I want to start with this because my guess is that you literally grew up with Bob Plager as a part of your life. Yes, I did. I was eight years old when I first moved to St. Louis, and um, my dad came the second year and, you know, got to know the the players a little bit. At that age, Randy, I didn't go to many games, but the one thing the Blues did, the Solomon family, they were so generous, they would take everybody, and I mean everybody, the players, the broadcasters, the trainers, on an all-expense 10-day trip every year to Miami Beach. They had a hotel down there, the Golden Strand. And I I just remember vividly, um, Bobby was single at the time, and most of the players were married with kids. So I remember standing around the lobby, getting ready for dinner with all the kids. All the kids ate together every night. And Bobby would, would come in the lobby, and maybe he was getting ready to go out, and he'd start with the jokes and the one-liners with the kids. So even back then, he was he was a jokester, and he was making people happy and laugh. And that that's really my first recollection to Bobby Plager back in 1969. John, it seems like he was never in a bad mood. He always had a smile. He always had time for someone, and he always had a joke up his sleeve. Yeah, you, you sum it up very well, Michelle. And, again, every time you left his, his company or his presence, you were laughing or smiling. I, I can't tell you the number of hours I spent in Mike Caruso's office, who, of course, is head of PR for the Blues, and Mike's been there since 1988. And before the renovation, he had a big office um, not far from the visitor locker room at Enterprise. 
and Mike had a couple of chairs in there. He had a couch, um, obviously his desk. And every time I went in to see Mike and talk to him and, you know, just uh, shoot the breeze, Bob Plager was in there. And invariably it would turn into stories and, and, and jokes and one lines. And then he'd come back for the game at 5 o'clock and, and go see Mike. And guess who was in the office? Bob Plager. <laughs> I mean, he was always around, and, and you always loved to see him. And the amount of time, uh, guys, that he spent selling the blues and the game of hockey, you know, you know, literally thousands of times that man went to golf tournaments and, and banquets and fundraisers and talked to the people, took pictures, signed autographs. He, were, he really was a, a, a man of the people, and that's why he was so loved in St. Louis. Yeah, you just led me right into my question I was going to ask you, J.K., and it's Danny Mac. Great to hear you. Uh, looking forward to the broadcast tonight. Um, your dad taught us hockey. Uh, a lot of people that grew up listening to your father, that broadcast is how we became fans of the Blues. And then you have Bob Plager, who is an original Blue and is through the ups and downs. And, man, there were a lot of ups and downs um, with this franchise. It made me wonder, has there been, and Michelle posed this question, has there been a more important member of the St. Louis Blues as a player, uh, part-time broadcaster, guy going out to his restaurant all the time, all the different things and charitable efforts, but being visible in the community that made sure that uh, that Blues hockey was always front and center? Has there been a more important person in that franchise's history? The simple answer is no. And a lot of people, Danny, as you know, have done a lot of great things, a lot of great players, some of the best in the game, a lot of wonderful coaches and people. But from day one until yesterday, nobody did that. And he sold the team better than any marketing campaign or PR campaign or or slogan could ever do. I mean, he was just the blues. And wherever he was, he was the piper of St. Louis hockey. And, you know, I say and. You know, I'm not sure if, uh, if you would agree or not, Dan, but he, to me, he was a stand mutual of the St. Louis Blues. Absolutely. Um, a beloved figure who everybody loved. And obviously he didn't have a Hall of Fame career as a player. We know that, and Stan certainly did. But as far as selling the Blues again and the game of hockey, he was our stand mutual. And I, I really feel that this organization will never be the same. Part of the, the soul of this franchise is gone forever now. It's, it's tragic. It really is. And, J.K., we've talked about and we've just played the interview that you did with him up on the stage after the Stanley Cup, but Bobby stuck through it. We mentioned these 50 years. Man, there were some rough times there in the mid-first part of the 2000s. When they finished in last place, they had a couple of really high picks. But he stuck around for that, too, whether it was Keenan or whether it was Kitchen or whether it was winning a Stanley Cup. He was the constant. Hey, for, the for, 80s weren't great either. And he was there <laughs> no, through all that, too. Right, yeah. So he, he was uh, he was the constant, and he was the, the constant with a smile on his face. Well, exactly. And, you know, he, he, he was well-known around the entire league, as you know, and, you know, just loved around, not just around St. Louis, but around the, the entire NHL. Yeah, I mean, at one point, the Blues had three employees. It was it was Ron Caron, it was Ted Hampson, the director of scouting, and Bob Plager. That's it. it. It was a summer where they were up for sale, and I can't remember you know at, at what point or what year it was, but they had three employees, including Bob Plager, who at that time was like uh, he wasn't a head amateur scout, but he was he was a head scout for the Blues. So yeah, I mean he was just there forever, and his legacy with his brothers, you know, not many. Teams have had three brothers play at the same time. I know Scotty Bowman 
in one game in Montreal, uh, started all three as forwards, and they were all three defensemen, as we know. <laughs> and that was a big thrill for Bobby. But, you know, I'm so happy that Bobby got his parade and his Stanley Cup and was on the ice in Boston. And they also retired his jersey a, a few years ago, as you guys know. And I know what that meant to him to see his number five go up in the rafters next to his beloved brother and, you know, have the eight come down and sort of serenaded back up to the, to the top of the building. It was, a, it was a special night. So Bobby got to have that ultimate honor and also win the Cup. So, you know, he, he certainly accomplished a lot and certainly did a lot in his life. You mentioned the cup and the parade, and we actually opened your interview playing um, a soundbite from that day where you were talking to Bob on the stage there. And I think when the Blues won the cup, most people thought about their family and their connection to Blues hockey. And then right behind it for a lot of people was that they were happy for Bob Plager to have that moment. So, John, what do you remember from that day? What do you remember about watching Bob Plager experience that parade? Well, I was around Bobby the night we won. Actually, uh, you know, I did the second period with uh, with Chris in the radio booth and Joey, and then I went around to the other side in the auxiliary press box, and that's where all the Blues players that weren't playing were, were sitting, and Bobby was there as well for a while. And, and so we got to, you know, experience that for a while, and then in the locker room. Um, but the parade itself and the stage, yeah, he it was it was obviously one of the greatest moments of his life. And uh, you know, I really feel, you know, this is the kind of guy Bobby was. He said, I'm so happy. I've waited, you know, all my life, but I'm so happy for the fans. And he truly felt that way because, you know, I feel the same way. I mean, so many people, guys, waited and they, they went to the arena on a cold winter's night and, you know, walked across the, the walkway over to Forest Park to get their car after the game or waited in traffic behind the arena, you know, night after night, year after year, or waited in the parking garage after a game at Enterprise Center. They were so loyal, and all they wanted was one cup. And now that we have one, we want more. But they got their cup. So I think that, to me, you know, said it all. is is just Bobby and wanting so badly to win a cup for himself, but really more importantly for all those great fans. J.K., the, the night the Blues won the cup, I told the story earlier. The first person I thought of was my, my late father. He's been gone a long time, but absolutely bled blue. I, he loved the St. Louis Blues. The next guy I thought about was Bobby Plager, and then I thought about you and your father, what what kind of memories, what kind of emotions that night came to you when you started thinking about Bobby Plager and winning that cup? Yeah, you know, I was uh, Bernie Federica was was up there with me, and, and Darren Pang as, as well. And you know, I don't know; it's hard to put in words, Dan. It, it just meant so much because ever since I was eight years old, when I came here and I saw the Blues in the final in 1969, losing in four straight, I was I was at the arena the night Montreal won game four at the arena and they prayed the cup around the building. And then the next year, of course, they got swept by Boston on the Bobby Orr goal and they had not been back since. So you sort of felt as a kid, man, this is an incredible franchise with Scotty Bowman and Al Arbor and the Plager brothers and Red Barrons. And they're going to keep on going and they're going to keep on winning and hopefully win Stanley cups. Well, guess what? It didn't happen <laughs> until 19. So, you know, it, it was just such an incredible moment. In a way, you thought it would never happen, guys, because there had been so much heartbreak over the years, as we know, the, the Eiserman goal in 96 and some of the other ones. But it was our time, and I, I felt, uh, I don't know, I felt a strange calmness about me the night of Game 7 in, in, at home against Dallas in, in overtime. I just felt, I kept looking at my dad's banner and, and Bark's banner, and I said, come on, we just need one goal here. Let's, let's go. And I was calm. 
and we got the goal from Maroon, and at that point I felt they are going to win the Cup. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure of Bobby's feelings at that time, but I do know that the night we won and he was in the locker room and the players loved him on the plane, obviously coming home. It was one of the greatest, it was one of the greatest nights of my life. And I'm sure it was for Bobby as well. Well, JK, it's great to hear your uh, memories of Bobby Plager. And uh, you're right. The, the soul of the blues is gone and it'll never be the same, but man, the memories are great. The memories are great. They'll go on forever. And you know what's really ironic, guys, is that, as we know, Bobby died in a car accident at Van Deventer, and he drove by the site of the old arena one more time on his way down to Enterprise. He was going to a ceremony. Um, the, the, the duo dog they had graduated named Bark. So he, he drove by the old arena one more time, and then he was headed to the arena to honor Bark the dog, and he passed away. I just think it's, it's, it's very... Uh, special of that those things occurred on, on the day he did pass away. It, it really is it, it, uh, fitting in a way. J.K., thanks for taking some time with us. Always good to hear your voice, and we'll be tuned in tonight. Okay, guys, thank you very much. Thank you. That is the Voice of the Blues on FS Midwest, soon to be Bally's Sports. John Kelly on 101 ESPN. We want to hear more from you. Your texts, your mic drops coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. When you've made it this far, you can't help but think about where this all started. Remember, we've been here before. 68, 69, and 70. We captured the imagination of a city. It's been a long time, but the wait is over. Hey, buddy, we're back. I get fired up now. So do I. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> Bobby Plager passing away yesterday at the age of 78. We're going to talk to Bernie Federko coming up in about 10 minutes. But right now, we want some more of your mic drops and texts. Mic drop with the 101 ESPN app brought to you by Rhino Shield and, of course, the Air Comfort Service text line. This is from the 314. My brother worked at Bobby's place in Valley Park during the Blues Cup run, and Bobby would often buy him a beer and talk hockey after his shift. Bobby also took a picture with him when he let my brother wear his cup ring. One of the greatest. And that was another thing about Bobby. He was very generous in allowing you to hold and and see that cup ring when he had it on. Which, who would do that? I think if I had that, not only would I keep it in a vault and probably not wear it often, I'm not going to give it to a stranger to wear. I'd be nervous somebody would run off with it. <laughs> just got to keep an eye on them. That's, <laughs> That's how true, you do Dad. it. Yeah. That's true. You just got to keep an eye on them. And uh, this from the 314, Bobby Plager was St. Louis sports. The most iconic person in St. Louis sports history. He wasn't above anyone. He was with the people. And uh, as J.K. mentioned, another text about how he was driving past the site of the old arena when the accident occurred. I think about Bob Plager, and if you think of him at, at the center, and then you think about the web that has been cast around him and how many lives that he's touched, it's really hard to quantify what he means to St. Louis and what he means to the Blues organization. Think about every player we've spoken to today that has a story about how he positively impacted their life, how anyone in the organization that has been talking about this or texting in, and so many fans that he interacted with, it's really overwhelming to think about how many people he impacted in his life. I, I still go back to when John Kelly was interviewing him 
uh, on the stage at the parade. And then, as I mentioned earlier in our show, the the when he was on the ice after they won the cup and all the different TV stations are interviewing everybody they can. And obviously they want to get to Bobby. And he said, I'm thankful that they won the cup. I'm thankful to the players. This is great. But most importantly, I'm so happy for the fans. And John just said that in our interview with him. Um, it's incredible. You know, the, the look, I grew up here, Randy, we're a little bit older. We, we saw the ups and downs of this franchise where it almost left couple different times you know you went through the Keenan era of fans that were turned off by popular players being traded away and they weren't winning and this guy through it all was kind of the backbone of everything's gonna be all right he's still here and he was still going out and making sure about selling the game of hockey but most importantly here in St. Louis selling the blues Mm -hmm. when the blues were kind of an afterthought sometimes or they weren't on the same stage as if the Cardinals were playing well or the Rams were playing well or in years in the 80s when you thought they may leave he was the one that was still going out and selling blues hockey and when you sign that picture or give that ring or have a beer with somebody they don't forget it now he may not remember it Mm -hmm. because he's done it a thousand times if not a million but those people don't remember it and it's a reason that you go down and support the organization and buy a ticket and he was the fulcrum of the blues doing that he was the centerpiece of for 50 years 53 years the blues being able to sell those tickets he was the guy and by the way i want to make this point before we get to andrew with a mic drop if you do go to the athletic story that jeremy rutherford wrote the joy that David Perron is expressing as Bobby gets to hold the cup above his head is amazing. It's just so cool to see the current players loving the fact that he got to do that. David Perron, I think it was David, tweeted, um, I I know it's about David Perron, but he talked now, he's been with the Blues three different times. He said, every time I would come back with a different team, one of the first guys that would come and see me wearing a different sweater, saying hello, having a cup of coffee and just catching up and seeing how his family's doing, Bob Plager. Yeah. Let's hear from Andrew with a mic drop. Great Bobby story for you. I went to a trivia night at Bobby's place over on Hampton. And uh, sure enough, Bobby was sitting there at the bars having a couple beers. And uh, our team ended up winning first place. And usually what they do is they give you a gift card. Well, Bobby ends up coming over to our table, takes out an 8x10, signs it for me, says, Hey, Andy, happy birthday. Congrats. It was not my birthday at all. Just got to love the guy. Love you, Bobby. <laughs> That's beautiful. With the smiley face. With right. the smiley yeah. face. With the smiley face. Here's another mic drop. This is Lee. You know, as a transplant from the Vancouver area uh, back in 02, I didn't really have a history of Bob Plager, but just listening to the stories today and, and looking up and, and reading about him um, and what he's meant to the Blues and, and the St. Louis City, uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, but seeing that he only has one book out there um, with some stories, it would be amazing to uh, have a Life in Times book, stories of Bobby Plager, uh, memories of Bobby Plager from everybody. I think that would be a mandatory blue note. I think it's Tales from the Blues Bench, maybe, mm-hmm. or Blues Dressing Room, something like that. Right. I've read it. It's great. And I know that there are numerous Bobby stories in Jeremy Rutherford's book, 100 Things That You Need to Know About the History of the Blues. I'll, I'll make sure that I get that right Yeah, JR. But 100 Things About Blues Hockey. So right. Just and look for Jeremy Rutherford's book and you'll have it. Yes. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking it over with uh, Bernie Federko. And I, I talked to Bernie yesterday afternoon after I'd gotten word about um, Bobby. I was told 
privately before it was done, you know, made public. And I was driving out of downtown after doing the Cardinal game and saw the, the traffic on the left. And I thought, what, what's going on here? Yeah, I had no idea what, you know, what had transpired. And the first person I called was Bernie Federico. And he and Bobby, to me, epitomize St. Louis Blues hockey. They made their homes here. Mm-hmm. And Bernie's the same way. You go up to Bernie, he signs an autograph. Yep. He's yeah. smiling. And I got to think a lot of that is due in part to, to Bobby Plager saying, this is how you treat the fans. Not that Bernie wouldn't have done it anyway. He's a wonderful man. But you see that being done. It's hard if you're if that's one of the icons of the franchise and he's doing it, other people are going to follow suit. Tell you what we'll do. We will hear from uh, the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federico, next with Carriker Smallman, Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle Smallman, Dan McLaughlin, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. We talked to Tony Twist earlier, uh, a young man who was highly impacted by Bob Plager's presence in his life and another guy who came to St. Louis as a very young man and kind of grew up around Bob Plager is Bernie Federico, the Hall of Famer, who joins us now to reminisce about Bobby on 101 ESPN. Bernie, we hate the circumstances under which we speak, but it's always good to talk to you. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine, thanks, Randy. You know, it's tough, tough day to, to, to see this thing, something like this happen. But, uh, you know, such is life, and I guess we just have to move forward. That's right, Bernie. And um, we've spent a lot of time today talking about Bob Plager, the man. But I want to ask you about Bob Plager, the player. I believe you played with him for one season. So what can you tell us about what he was like out on the ice? Bobby was a competitor, and I think that's the best way to uh, describe him. I mean, he was hard-nosed, uh, you know, in everybody's face. I mean, he. I mean, I, I think the greatest thing, Michelle, is, I mean, watching, if you watch that hip check of Mickey Redmond that you see, I think they've showed it over and over, maybe one of the greatest hits I've ever seen. But it wasn't even the fact that he made the check, is after Mickey got up, he drilled him again as he, as he got it back off the ice. So Bobby was like that. Bobby was... Uh, a hard guy to play against. Uh, I mean, he was great to be on, on his side. He would be one of those guys you would hate to play against each and every night. But he came to play. I think that's what we were taught. I mean, when we, when we started playing for the Blues, it was the Plager boys. It was them saying, okay, this is how we play. You know, the, the, this is you, you finish your checks, you do this, you were blue collar, we, this is the way we do things. And um, the respect for the blue note. I mean, the jersey never hits the floor, the crest is what you're playing for in the front of the jersey, not the name in the back. And I think that's, uh, you know, Bobby Barkley, they were the guys that, that, that were the in charge of that. You know, uh, Bernie, I, I've never seen you uh, deny an autograph or a picture or a handshake, and it's amazing to see a Hall of Famer um, as humble as you are, and you are, and you sell blues hockey as well as anybody that's ever done it, along with Bob Plager. I, I'm curious, when you were watching Bob and seeing how he was with fans, and I was saying this before the break, how do you not pick up on that and say, you know what, that's probably the way I need to be? Not to say that you wouldn't have been that way, but how many of of you and, 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 and your teammates you know, saw that and go, you know what, that's the way we need to sell hockey, blues hockey, and be citizens here in St. Louis? Absolutely, Danny. I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, Bobby, I mean, I, I've talked about that all the time. Anybody that's got an autograph from Bobby, and I'm sure there's there's thousands of people in St. Louis that have. I mean, he's got time not only to sign the autograph, but to look you in the eye and have a little chit-chat with you. And he's always got, I mean, no one takes longer to sign an autograph than Bobby Plager. The two little, the, the smiley face and the P all the time on the Plager, uh, you know, that's something that you, you, you if you don't respect that, if you don't see that, 
you know, as another player, you're not learning anything. But Bobby, you had time for everybody, and, and that's what he tried to tell us all. And that's what the older guys, you know, what you come in as a young kid, and, and you're 20 years old. They tell you you don't you don't have any mouth. You just you sit there, you listen, you open your ears, and this is how you learn. And that's exactly it. And Bobby had time for everybody, and that's exactly the way I learned. The way that you should learn is that. You know, the reason that we're here is because we have fans, and, and Bobby never let us forget that. And I think that Bobby was such a great ambassador, as good as you get for the San Luis Blues. There's so many fans here in San Luis because of Bobby Player. And I'm sure in hockey and every other sport, Bernie, there are guys who have been around for a long time and players, current players might just roll their eyes when the older guy walks into the dressing room. But Bobby was adored throughout the course of Blues history, right? Your generation, the generation following you, these current players, you see the picture of the players watching Bobby lift the cup above his head. He was just an adored guy by all the players. Yeah, Randy, he was a fixture. I mean, he is, Bobby Plager is the St. Louis Blues. He'll always be the St. Louis Blues. I mean, these guys were the royalty, Bob and Bark and Billy. I mean, the Plager brothers, that was the royalty of the St. Louis Blues. And Bobby, you know, was a fixture there. Bobby was always there by the locker room, in the locker room, in the stands. I mean, Bobby was there. I mean, Bobby, would, he played, he coached, he he scouted. He, he did everything that the Blues wanted him to do. He was the ambassador. So, I mean, everybody respects that so much. And, yes, I mean, I think that's one of the great moments is when he was able to be on the ice with the with the team and with the team standing behind him, he was able to to lift the cup. But, you know, one of the guys that was with the original team uh, that started in 1967. So things like that that happened. Uh, I mean, those are memories, and, and and the guys respect Bobby so much. And and I mean, I I just feel bad. Uh, we were talking earlier is that there's some guys that never got the new guys never got a chance because of COVID. And Bobby not being able to be able to be in the locker room and around the locker room, some of the guys never got to meet Bobby Plager that are on this team right now, and I think that is really, really a shame because he's that much a special person, uh, you know, to, to for, for, for the St. Louis Blues organization. Bernie, you mentioned when the Blues won the Cup. Is there a moment that you can share with us about maybe when you first saw Bob after the Blues had won or from Parade Day? There were so many special stories that came out of that time, but can you share one with us? Well, the, the first one was, I mean, just after he goes, I mean, I was able to go on the ice after, you know, after uh, everybody was on the ice too as well. I got to, to lift the cup up too, but Bobby was, you know, got to do it with, with the guys in front of him. But I mean, just the, the embrace after, you know, we saw each other on the ice after we both had been able to do that. It was just the embrace of, of can you believe it? We've, you know, it's been done. It's fine that the Blues have a, and I, I think it was just the emotion of just hugging because, you know, two, it was, you know, the thing that we, you know, wanted the most. I mean, for for the Blues organization, has been a cup forever. I mean, that's why we came here. You try to win it, we never got a chance to do it ourselves. But to be a part of it, to be there in Boston, I think that was one of the most, you know, amazing things. And you know, Bobby didn't watch most of that game. He paced around. Bobby couldn't stand to watch when things were tight and stuff. I, I think Bobby maybe watched the last five minutes of the game because the Blues were up three nothing. But uh, he he was one of those guys that that that, that was his ritual. That if, if things he couldn't. If he got too nervous, he would just walk away. So, yeah, but but that moment of just the embrace is just something that I will always remember. And probably no people, two people in the world that loved Barkley Plager more than Bob and yourself. And I, I would think that part of it was special too, because my guess, Bernie, in reading your book and, and knowing you over the years, there probably isn't another family outside of the Federico family that had much more impact on you than the Plager family. 
No, that's right, Randy. That's exactly it. I mean, Bark was so special. I mean, Bark took me under his wing. I mean, I got to play for him in Kansas City. And then, of course, you know, when he coached here, and Bark was like an older brother to me. And Bobby was, was part of the family as well. So, I mean, Bobby and I have, I'm going to miss a lot of the conversations. And we had a lot of, you know, deep conversations about the team and about the talent and all, all, all kinds of things. And, and you know, I had utmost respect for 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 Bobby for Barkley for the Plager family and you know and I I feel so so sad for Melissa and the grandkids and Bobby and you know and, and Helen's you know Barkley's family too because they were so close and um, you just hate seeing something like this happen but this is life and uh, that's the unfortunate part of it but uh, uh, you know Bobby was special I mean the Plager family was special to me and and, and it hurts you know to see that, that we're, we no longer have any Plagers left you know um, you know in person here but certainly uh, they will always exist you know in our minds because they, they will always be the St. Louis Blues you know Bernie I think about our younger fans and, and they've experienced a, a Stanley Cup championship and this team is going to the playoffs and they've got solid ownership as you well know, it wasn't always that way. Uh, it could have gone to the team was going to Saskatoon. You had the Mike Keenan years. You had all these different things. And through it all, you know, behind all that and kind of the stabilizing force, it was Bobby Plager, wasn't it? Yep, absolutely, Danny. He went, he went through everything. And the thing with Bobby is that he did whatever they asked him to. I That's mean, right. I mean, he went to Peoria to coach. I mean, he was started scouting. He Whatever they had him do, I mean, he never complained. He did his job at and I, he doesn't get enough credit for the talent that he saw. You know, I mean, when he was scouting, I mean, he was part of that Pavel Dimitra. I mean, he went and watched Pavel Dimitra play. I mean, but he, he had an opinion, too. And he wasn't afraid to say what he, what he had to say. And, and, and he was the glue. And, yes, it could have gone anywhere. We could have been, you know, so many different places. But, I mean, the one constant was always Bobby Plager. And, and, and everybody understands that. And everybody that's anybody that's been around the Blues organization knows that. And, and we'll always remember that, that Bobby was the St. Louis Blues. Bernie Federico, we really appreciate you taking some time this morning. We know you've got a busy day. We'll be watching tonight on FS Midwest before the Blues play the Wild and during intermissions and after the game as well. But it's always great to hear your voice, and we appreciate you reminiscing about Bobby this morning. Thanks, you guys. You know, he's going to be missed, but uh, he's not going to be forgotten. Never. That is the great Bernie Federico on 101 ESPN. The best. Uh, I... When I think of blues hockey, and there's a lot of things I think about, as I was, and we were talking about all this stuff, and Bob Plager is St. Louis blues hockey, and right after that, I think Bernie Federko. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean Bernie Federko is, uh, as I said, one of the most, if not the most humble Hall of Favor Hall of Famer in any sport I've ever met, mm-hmm. and he's the same way. You you run into Bernie on the street, and when he signs an autograph, does the same thing. Looks you in the eye. How you doing? You know, and that is what this organization has been about. It's special. And guys, so many blues players, and this is much because of the the. the, the let me put it in better terms than, than I was thinking of. Bob Plager set the tone for what the Blues alumni are, for so many players wanting to stay in St. Louis because of his love for this community. Yeah, that's and Bernie perfect. follows along. He does. I mean, Bernie is asked to do countless charity events, and then the first thing is when and where. 
Yeah. Tell me when and where. I'll yeah. be there. He's he's an amazing man. There are still a few days left to sign up and join Michelle in participating in the Michelob Ultra Seltzer Virtual 5K. Just 25 bucks to sign up. Proceeds benefit. Pedal the cause. By signing up, you're going to get a premium Ultra Seltzer running shirt. Then complete your run anytime before the end of March. You have about a week to get that done. Get more details and get signed up for the Michelob Ultra Seltzer Virtual 5K now at 101ESPN.com. We will wrap things up. Head towards the Dan McLaughlin Show with BK next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. In doing this job, I am a fan with access. I consider myself, hopefully, to be a conduit between the players and and, and the fans because really, at my core, I am a fan. I was never a pro athlete and I'm so that's what I am. And you talk about iconic guys and how you just can't take for granted people. And Bobby Plager was 78. He, he led a great life and a complete life. But we are so lucky to be able to interact with people like Bobby Plager in our lives, right? Uh, no doubt. I, I You know, I do Cardinal baseball for a living, and I, I think of how lucky I was to have been around Stan, uh, been around Lou and... and Red, uh, Bob Gibson a lot. This has been a tough year. I mean, when you consider the loss of Lou and Bob and Bob Plager. Jim Hannafin. Jim Hannafin. If Talk you're a lot of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. St. Louis sports fans have been, you know, we all have dealt with COVID, obviously, and I'm not trying to minimize that. But from a St. Louis perspective, it's been a tough year. This is a, this is a tough morning and a tough day for any sports fan in town, not just Blues fans. It really has. And when you say how lucky we are to interact with people like that, What's that saying? Don't don't ever meet your heroes type deal. So many people know of Bob Plager and might have been intimidated to go up to him or say something. And then think about the fact that they finally get to meet him and how much more their expectations were exceeded having that experience with him. And that's something that they're going to take away and that they tell their family and their friends. And it just the trickle down effect is amazing. But I, I just think about how gracious he was at all times to everyone and what a lesson that is for well, for people to take away. Totally agree. I mean, I, I say it all the time with athletes. If you sign for one, you're essentially signing for like 100. Yeah. Because <laughs> the stories that trickle out and the tentacles of that meeting, and if you're a gentleman about it or gentle person about it, um, they, they remember. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so you're sitting there at Thanksgiving or Christmas and an old game pops up and you're like, you know, I met, I met that guy. I met Player X mm-hmm. and he did this for me and he you know, talk to me and he signed an autograph for me and took an, a genuine interest for those 30, 40 seconds, minute, 10 minutes, hour, whatever. It means something. And, and we have that. We're very parochial here in St. Louis. There's no doubt about that. We love our own. And if you give, I've always said this, if you're a, a player and you just give a modicum of respect to the fans and just a little bit, just give them a little peek behind the mm-hmm. curtain, they'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. And they don't. And they, and that you're welcomed always in this town, always until the day you pass. And Dan, I, I think that you hit it on the head in saying that Bernie Federico is now the guy that if there is a guy that's going to follow in those footsteps of Bobby Plager, Bernie's that guy. Ozzy so. is that fo- fo- follows in the, the footsteps of Stan here in St. Louis from a baseball perspective. And we just have to savor the time that we have with those guys. And when you see them running around, when, when they're out at a restaurant and uh, or, or they're, you run into them at a gas station. Uh, Aeneas Williams is another one here in town, just a prince of a human being and a Hall of Fame player. Uh, when you 
run across those guys in town, recognize that uh, you're with not just great iconic players, but great people that want to interact with other people. It's a credit to the fans, too. The fans treat these people, you know, your athletes uh, for, what, 10, 15 years? If you're lucky, you get 20 in. I mean, that's an unbelievable career. But even the ones that didn't have those kind of careers, but they said... I, I just I, the best times of my life of being a pro athlete for me and my family were right here in St. Louis. I'm not from here. I, I am personally, but I'm speaking for that athlete. You know, I'm not from here, but they they treated me so well and I'm treated like I was a Hall of Famer. And a lot of players talk about that. That's why you have the Blues alumni is such a massive base. I think it might be now the biggest alumni that's in their actual cities. Uh, the Cardinals talk about it all the time. Um, you know, I think about now visiting with these 2011 players and they, they mention, you know, it's 10 years now and they say, wow, is the time of our lives being a part of that franchise and being a part of that, that time in baseball history. But man, wasn't it great to be a part of that town? They don't forget it because it's a special place here. And that's Mm -hmm. why Bobby Plager stayed here and Bernie Federko and Chris Pronger and Al McKinnis. These guys can go live anywhere they want and they choose to live here, So it's a credit to them and a credit to the, the way that they're treated in this town. And how lucky are we as a city that we have those guys that are in that town? I think it's so rare when you look at other great sports cities in America. Not only do we have so many icons that represent our organizations, but they get it and they get us. And I think that's really special. Yeah, Chris Pronger will join us tomorrow, by the way. The Blues Alumni has put together the Blues Alumni Assistance Foundation, and we're going to talk to Prongs about that and obviously his memories of Bobby Plager. Greg Amzinger, normally with us on Thursday, not with us this morning. He'll be with us tomorrow as well. We're going to talk to Jay Delsing and our weekly visit with Joe Vitale, who I'm sure will have some great memories of the great Bob Plager as well. Uh, coming up on the show, we'll visit with uh, Rick Horton, who's down in spring training. So we will talk a little baseball about uh, the final week now. It's a week away from opening day. So Ricky is down there after being in St. Louis for three days and working remotely on the broadcast on Fox Sports Midwest. And we'll visit with Reed Lowe. Uh, Reed Lowe, the former Blue, who, by the way, is living in St. Louis mm-hmm. and doing a lot of charitable stuff. And he's always active around town. So we'll visit with uh, Reed Lowe and get his thoughts on uh, the late, great, Bob Plager. All right. We are looking forward to that with Dan and BK. As always, a great job. And in, in fact, uh, Michelle Butcher, or Michelle Smallin, a- Emily Butcher, came in last night. She was working late here in the office. She's here at 6 in the morning, but was here last night putting together this show and working exceptionally hard. And she's the reason that you had such great programming this morning on Character Smallman and Danny Mac. Emily, thanks so much for your great work. Thank you. And Michelle, now I got the two women right. <laughs> Great job as always. Thanks. I'm Dan. Thanks, guys. See you tomorrow. Uh, and Danny, we will see you tomorrow. Okay. Thanks, buddy. For Good, all of great us, stuff. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. 
and Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Looking for holiday gifts for less? Come to Ross and say yeah to making your dollar stretch on name brand toys, clothes, and gifts. Get the gift of savings this holiday from Ross. Yes for less.